welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. we hear the scripture this morning, we continue on our teaching through the epistle to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Together as the family of God, let us once again hear his word. Paul wrote, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. May God's eternal word have its effect on our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hey, you can be seated. Well, I wonder if you've ever noticed um, that if you've been around something for a while, around a shared experience, uh, you notice that uh, you develop slang, you develop kind of insider language about what you're experiencing. And so uh, insiders that have been around it a while know what we're saying with these insider expressions. Uh, since it is football season, uh, I'll just go ahead and, and grab that as, as a way to illustrate. All of us have been involved in the professional football environment so long uh, that we all know the insider language. And in fact, we know it so well that we've taken the insider language from football and we apply it to all kinds of everyday life in the workplace or just in in society in general. For example, all of us know what it means to run interference for somebody. Everybody knows what it's like, uh, particularly in in your working life, to put together a game plan. Um, Everybody knows what it's like to listen to somebody who's a Monday morning quarterback. Everybody knows what it's like when things are hopeless, you decide to go ahead and punt. Everybody knows what it feels like to have somebody run and end around, around you. And everybody knows what it's like to face a situation where all you can do is throw up a Hail Mary. So, I mean, we know all this insider language, you know, I don't know if we've got any way to use the words goat and Omaha yet, but that's coming. We'll figure that out, how to figure that, how to use that in everyday life too. You know, Christians, as they're together and they're in the life of the church, the life of the faith, we develop insider expressions too. And uh, we all kind of know what they mean after we've been around for a while in the Christian life. Here's a few. Um, an insider expression is Bible teaching church. You see, if you're, if you're outside the faith, you would assume that all churches are Bible teaching churches. But once you kind of get inside the faith for a while and you've been around in different places, well, nah, not quite all the time. And, and when you say, I'm looking for a Bible teaching church, most of the time, uh, insiders know what you mean. It's a challenge sometimes. There's another phrase we use, a godly man. If you're an outsider to the faith, you would think we might be talking about a cardinal or some kind of higher placed priestly leader. But no, if you're inside the faith, you know that's the desire of every man that knows Christ. He wants to become a godly man. And we have a sense of what that means. Here's one from my generation, a Proverbs 31 woman. A lot of you know that. 
And we have images in our minds as insiders of knowing what that could mean. Here's another one. A walk with God. We know that as a phrase. We talk about that in relation to our life or to other people. I mean, we use the phrase and we, we use it in positive ways or worried ways. We say, you know, man, he, he really has a strong walk with God. And other times we kind of huddle with each other and we say, you know, I'm really worried about where his walk with God is at right now. So that's an insider phrase, right? And we know what it means or so we think. Because um, there's a lot more to it than we've led ourselves to believe. We come to a text today in Colossians where Paul talks about walking with God. It's right in the middle of the verse, verse 6, so walk in him. And in fact, Paul says, this is how you walk with God. So he not only talks about what we know as having a walk with God, but we, he talks about how you do this. Now, when you think about it, ask yourself in your Christian thinking frame right now, what do you believe right now? it takes to walk with God. How do you walk with God? Most of us will come up with kind of a description of what you're supposed to do. And it's all true, but is it the whole story? I mean, we'll think, okay, how, do, how does a person walk with God? Well, they go to a Bible teaching church, right? They uh, also read the Bible and pray regularly on their own. That's an essential to having a walk with God, right? We all agree. And then we believe that there's two other things. One is, the third is they 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 stay away from certain moral wrongs that would shipwreck their walk with God. And that's right too. And then they also try and stay accountable to others who are on the same path. So when we think about how to walk with God, those are four things that come into my mind from my experience in Christ that we believe you need to do to to, to walk with God. Is that all there is to it? The answer is, from what Paul tells us, no, that's part of it, but it's not the heart of it. Here he goes into the heart of what it means to walk with Christ. And it's not just about doing those things that I just mentioned. It's more about knowing him in a deeper way as you walk in those things. It's knowing Christ. I'm so glad our worship team took us into that understanding today, knowing his glory, being affected by his greatness, being overwhelmed and moved by who Christ is. That's getting to the heart of it. So we're going to walk into uh, a teaching by Paul on how to walk with God. How do you walk with God? Well, there are two answers that this text gives us. So get ready. Go into the the scripture with me, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Turn your Bibles on or open your Bibles, however you do that. Or if you're watching with us online, you can see it on the screen in, in part, but we want to get your Bibles ready too as you go through with us. Two answers to the question in this passage. How do you walk with God? The first thing Paul tells us is you need to understand the key perspective in walking with God. Understand the key perspective in walking with God. Now to develop this, I need to kind of analyze how this passage flows. Analyze the flow of thought a little bit. Uh, you see, it begins, verse 6, with the word therefore. And, you know, here's another insider thing. Most Christians have been around Bible teaching. When you see a therefore, you want to find out why it's... See, you guys are so insider. 
Really good. Yeah, therefore is connected to something previous in the flow of thought. You want to find out what the therefore is therefore. What's it connected to? It flows out of the previous verse, not a big surprise there, where Paul has just commended them as a church. You remember, they're a younger church, but they're being troubled by false teachers who were trying to draw them away from the truth about who Jesus was as God and what Jesus did on that cross. And Paul tells them in verse 5, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He had just warned them about false teaching, told them how to stand against it. And he said, by the way, I praise God that only a few of you have been taken captive. Your church as a whole is standing firm in Christ. And he commends them for the firmness of their stand. That was a Greek word in the text that meant standing together in a battle line. And he says, I'm so proud of you guys, because even though these teachers have been coming at you, the majority of you have stayed on the battle line, you're shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and you are standing for the truth. You're standing firm. And he goes from here, and I believe he's stating, since you've been standing firm, now I want you advancing. You're standing, now I want you advancing. And so he goes and he begins to say, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, as you've been standing firm in your faith, based on your salvation, so walk in him. And it's a command. It's imperative. I want you from a standing point on the battlefield to now walk into greater maturity in Christ. So what we're talking about here, when he says walk in him, we're talking about progressing in the Christian life. Does that make sense? And that's what God wants for every Christian and every church together to do in Christ and in truth. Now he actually connects this to another piece of thought. He says, therefore, having been standing, I want you walking as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. He connects the the walk with something they already had experienced and knew how to do as you received. So walk, see the connection there in the same way you trusted Christ in the very beginning of your salvation experience in the same way, keep walking with him. There is something connecting the two. There's a principle here or a perspective that puts the two together. He goes back to their beginning and he talks about when they received Christ Jesus, the Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about their salvation experience. I mean, today we talk about it in Christian life. Another insider phrase, has that person received Jesus? We all know what that means. Doesn't mean something mystical when they came to a, a communion service and, and a wafer crossed their tongue. No, no, no. That's, that's a, a religious teaching that's not valid. No, we know what it means. It's based on John chapter 1 and verse 12, where the scripture itself says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To receive Christ means to hear the gospel of salvation, to to hear the, the, the dark news about your sin, but the bright news about his death and forgiveness, and to receive that message and receive him. John 1.12 says we received him. The word is the same word received here, paralambano in the Greek, and it meant to make someone or some teaching a close part of your life. 
It didn't mean to simply intellectually believe in something. It meant to embrace it. And it was used of two things. It was used either to, to describe beginning a relationship with a, a, a body of truth, believing something and taking it in as a conviction in your life, making a teaching a true part of your belief system, or making a person, another individual, a, a true part of your life. The same word was used when the angel told Joseph in his dream, after he found out Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, do not be afraid, Joseph, to paralambano Mary to you, to take her into your life and to your side as your closest friend, as your wife. In salvation, we do both. We hear this wonderful truth about our sin and this wonderful Savior, and we take it in and we make it our most precious conviction. We believe, we receive that truth, and we also receive a person, the Lord Jesus, and we begin a personal relationship with God. So those are the two dimensions of a salvation decision, both a teaching and a person. Does that happen for you? That's what it means to receive Christ. It's what you did when a John 1, 12 moment happened for you. Whether you were six, like to, like I like to say, whether you were six or 60, it was the same event. In fact, I know what you did and how you did it, even though I wasn't there. You're saying, this is getting spooky. No, I really know. Because the Bible tells me what you did in that moment. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do I know, I know, how do I know what you did in that moment of salvation? If it was true salvation, you believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. He's almighty God. He paid an almighty price for the depth of your sin. You believe that. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. You took in that great knowledge and, you conf- and, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's how salvation works. Now, this is very important. How did you do that? Was it through an emotional experience? For most of us, it wasn't. Was it in some kind of supernatural event? I would say for virtually all of us, it wasn't. No, Romans 10 says it is a decision to believe and a commitment to confess. In other words, listen, it was all by faith, wasn't it? That's why if you were saved as a young child, don't let anybody cast doubt on your faith. Because in that moment, even as a young child without any emotional experience or any environment of bells and whistles, you know that you believe some point in your past and that belief has borne fruit and you bear fruit for Jesus today. You trusted Christ because it's not about an event or an emotion. It's about a decision, a simple decision Jesus said, come to me as a child would come to me. So it was by faith, by faith. Hear the phrase by faith, because that's the first big perspective. Paul is stating, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord? By what? Faith. In the same way, he says, you walk with God by faith. Notice this, not by emotion, and not by situation. 
This is so critical. Why am I making a big deal of this? Well, he does. He says, if you, you, you walk by faith because you were saved by faith. I'll put it in a phrase that should be on the screen behind me. The key perspective in walking with God that he sets as the foundation for his teaching here is this. Every step in our walk with God is like our first step was by faith. It's all by faith. Believing and stepping out in faith. That's so critical. Why? Because so many of us become discouraged in our walk with God because we're looking for certain dimensions of emotion to stay constant with us or certain situations or conditions that have to work out in order for us to continue to walk closely with God. Why do we get derailed in our walk with God? Is it because the word of God changed? No. It's because somehow in our humanity, in our flesh, we got hooked up with the fact that if if a certain emotional experience is not ours anymore or frequently, or if our conditions and situations in life have changed, we get discouraged and we dial down our walk with God. And Paul says those things can come and they're a blessing or they can go, but they're not the basis of your relationship with God. You say it's so simple. Well, Believe me, we've all got a human frame that craves good emotions and loves perfect situations, right? And so we're led that way. Paul says you've got to give that up. Remember, you received Jesus by faith, so walk in him by faith. It's critical, and it's a lifelong lesson. You know, Billy Graham struggled for many years as a young man before he trusted Christ with emotions. And he believed that his emotional state had to be a certain way for him to truly be accepted by God. And he had a lot of guilt over his sin until one day at a particular Christian service, he simply decided to walk forward by faith. And he came to Christ the same way you and I did. But all through his life, he said it was a struggle to uh, battle the, the need for emotions. Later in his life, he said this, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments today of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me. And please, Lord, help me. Billy Graham? Of course. Just like you and I. So if that's the fundamental perspective, that every step in our walk with God is like our first step toward God was by faith, the next question would be, then how do I work that out? Glad you asked. That's the rest of the passage. So here's the second part of the answer. I told you there were two big parts to the answer. One was understand the key perspective. It's all by, do I have to repeat that? Thank you. Second, we got to get through this message. So just say something. Remember the key dimensions of walking with God. Here's the rest of the passage. Paul gives us four dimensions of the Christian life that make up a growing walk with God. So walk in him, comma. And then verse 7 expands what it means to walk in Christ, to walk with God. You'll notice that it's built around four verbs, rooted, built up, established in, and abounding in, or four action phrases, if you will. And that's how I'll teach it. It's pretty easy to open it up because that's how the Holy Spirit put it in print, okay? There are also four images or word pictures that Paul uses along with each of these action phrases. So I'm going to give you very quickly four dimensions of how to walk with God from this passage. Number one, regularly reaffirm the reality of your beginning 
with Jesus. Regularly reaffirm the reality of your beginning with Jesus. He says, rooted and built up in him. Go to the phrase or the word rooted. Here he uses his first image. That's of a tree with firm and deep roots. He says, you can't walk unless you understand that you're rooted in true salvation. He goes back to the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. And he's stating here, as you walk in him, you begin by remembering where you're rooted. He's talking here about your salvation. He introduced the concept of salvation in the previous phrase, as you receive Christ Jesus. And now he goes back to it and alludes to it again. Now, each of these verbs here in the original Greek, they're kind of interesting, not maybe to you, but to me, and they uh, communicate some nuance here. This one is in the perfect tense in the Greek. That's important. It means that the word rooted there is talking about something that happened in the past and its effects are still true in the present. It's something that happened in the past that does not change It's permanent in its effect. You know what that is? Salvation. Once saved, always saved. We're in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus said, no one will ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. Your salvation is a permanent thing. And he says, as you walk, begin by going back and reaffirming how you were born again, reaffirming the root of your faith. He means regularly revisiting and rejoicing in how Jesus saved you. Why is that critical? Because that's the first place that that doubters will assail you. Remember the Colossians were fighting false teachers and those false teachers had two targets. One was the identity of Jesus as God. He wasn't God. He was just an emanation from a, a virtually unknowable God. He was more like an angel. And then secondly, the work of Jesus What he did on that cross was not sufficient. It was a noble act, but you have to complete all of that by learning more and doing more and learning more and doing more. And they were destroying the foundation of their security in Christ. And so critics do that today. If you aren't firmly rooted in the depth of your assurance of salvation, you'll be overturned and swept away. You see, Rooted, like I said, it's a word picture, an agricultural word. Tense means once and for all having been rooted. And Christians are to be rooted. You know what? Christians are not to be two things. You're not to be a tumbleweed. You know what a tumbleweed is? We know what it is. It's a plant that used to be connected to its roots. But it got disconnected from its roots, and now it's blown wherever it goes on the prairie, as Ephesians 4.14 says. You Christians are not to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. That's false teaching. How does that happen? You lose your rooting in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so that's the false teaching that can throw you around. So you're not to be a tumbleweed. This is where you meet people say, who say, I used to be a Christian. That's an impossible statement. Do you know that? If you are a Christian, you always will be a Christian. You may be confused right now and downcast right now, but there are no used to be Christians. You're in Christ. 
And the way to understand that is to reaffirm that once you're in Christ, you can never be outside of him and go back and trust and rejoice in the gospel. So Christians aren't supposed to be tumbleweeds. They're also not supposed to be transplants. That's a, that's a, a plant that if you put it in one soil, you know, you can take it and put it in another set of soil and it might do okay there too. Not as well as in the original, but you could transplant it. And we're not designed that way. We're designed to live and thrive in only one soil. That's the richness of our rootedness in Jesus Christ. A Christian transplant might be somebody who says, well, you know, I'm still a Christian, but now I'm a more open spiritual person to other beliefs. So I'm planting my, my, my spiritual flag in a, on a, in a lot of different plots of ground because that's kind of what the world wants me to do, and I'd rather go along to get along. No, no, no. No, you're rooted in one person. There was only one that went to a cross for you. Some other teacher may thrill you. Only one died for you. So Christians get rooted in their faith in Christ, and the world wants to pull that out of you. So he says, you got to regularly reaffirm the reality of your beginning with Jesus. It's a critical reality. And where we ever get the idea that once you become saved, you never have to think about that again, and you just go on to growing. No, the only way you grow is by going back to how you began and rejoicing in that. So the question would be, how do I do that on a regular basis in my life as a Christian? I would say regularly read the scriptures because if you regularly read through them, not just little portions of, of bless me verses that, that, that you constantly go back to, but you begin to just read through the word of God, it will bring forth the gospel over and over and over again, won't it? And you'll know to rejoice in it that way. And the other thing I would say would be frequently come under teaching from the Bible that makes much of the cross of Christ. I hope you're doing that here. Here's the second. He then goes on. He says, you also need to regularly deepen your understanding of who Jesus is. That's the next phrase, built up built up in him. Notice he says, not built up in knowing more things to do as a Christian, not built up in having more strange experiences as a Christian or esoteric teachings. No, built up in knowing more of who he is, built up in him. Jesus Christ is the essence of all you need to know about your Christian life. Regularly deepen your understanding of who Jesus is. Here he shifts from the image of a tree firmly rooted to uh, a building being constructed. The Greek word, uh, it, it talks about uh, layer upon layer uh, being built in, in the structure of a building. It's also present active participle. I told you these things are interesting to me. That means... The first one is about a, a, an experience that happened and it's done. Rooted is in the perfect tense. This, this one is in the present. In fact, the next three are as a way of life now being built up more and more in your knowledge of Jesus. It's something that never ends. And I'm, I'm sure that's true because who, is, who Jesus is, you'll never finish figuring out and discovering, right? He's the eternal matchless God. Now, Paul had already referred to this in verse 28. He says, when, when I teach you, verse 28, first phrase, him I proclaim. I don't teach Christianity as a system or a, a collection of, of a secret knowledge or anything else. I just keep teaching you more about Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 3 of chapter 2, we already saw this. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to go anywhere else or learn about anyone else for you to be growing in your Christian life. Christ is the totality of who you want to know and why. 
In Ephesians chapter 3, he told another church, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Ephesians 3.14. I'm praying about all of this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, verse 16, that you may grow deeply in Christ, is the translation. How? Verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You'll never, ever exhaust, no, exhaust knowing how much Jesus loves you or what he's done for you. It surpasses knowledge. Grow in it constantly. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You'll have a growing and deep Christian life. This is what God wants for us. It's about knowing and understanding Jesus because in Jesus is everything and who he is is everything. That's why he says you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's a very important phrase. Did you know that in the early church, when they baptized believers, like we have done recently, and we asked certain questions, asking them to affirm who Jesus is, in the early church, before they baptized you, they looked into your eyes in that baptistry, and they said, do you believe that Christ Jesus is Lord? Is Christ Jesus the Lord? And you would say yes. That was what they wanted to hear from you before you went under the waters of baptism and fully committed as a Christian. Why? Because it speaks of the threefold greatness of Jesus Christ. The word Christ is about the fact that he is the Messiah of the Old Testament prophecies and he's the only prophet that ever came into the world and told the greatest truth about salvation. It's about his ministry as the prophet and Messiah. Jesus is talking about his saving work. He's the only Savior and he's the priest, prophet and priest he is. And that's what we get right in our Christianity and we never stop learning about it. And finally, Lord, well, he's the king, isn't he? Those are the three things about the wonderful Lord Jesus that he's always been and is now in heaven, prophet, priest, and king. So when we declare that Jesus Christ is Christ Jesus, the Lord, verse 6, we are built up in knowing ever more about him in those roles. And that fills you, Paul said in Ephesians, with the fullness of God. Do you want an abundant Christian life? Do you want a full Christian life? Do you want a life that is abundant, like Jesus said, having life abundantly? Do you want the water of, of, of the deep knowledge of God to flow out of your inner being, like Jesus said in John 7? It comes from knowing more of him. Now, if you've been in the, the Christian frame for a while, that might be a little bit of a surprise because you might be thinking that our Christianity today says that Christianity is really about you. How many times have you heard me say, it's not about you, it's about him. It's not about you achieving your goals, it's about you living for his glory, like we sang about today. It's not about finding principles so that you can engineer a more comfortable life. It's about giving up your life to answer his call. To follow him as prophet, priest, and king. You say, how do I do that? Well, I would say you come under preaching that exalts Christ, that makes much of him. And that happens as you go through the scriptures as a body of truth. But here I would also say this. Make an effort in your life to come close to some seasoned believers who through time and trouble have had to come to know Jesus more deeply. These are ones who will show you how to walk with him and learn about him more richly and who will share some of the gems that he's given them about who he is. 
Come around people like that. Watch your Christian walk grow. The last two as I close. He goes on. Here's another dimension. Regularly expand your knowledge of the scripture. He goes on to another action word, another verbal phrase, established in the faith. Now he shifts from the imagery of a, of, of a tree well rooted or to a building built up in level upon level to the idea of a learner or a school. A student is the language and how it is referred there. Established, we get our English word basis from it. It talked about a a footing or a firm foundation. He was saying, build the foundation, make a strong, established basis of knowledge in your life of the faith. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean growing in the ability to to have enough faith so that great things happen through your faith? No. You see it identified, he says, established in the faith. And what's the next phrase, comma, just as you were taught. So this has to do with truth. And in fact, when you see the words, the faith in the New Testament, usually it's a shorthand phrase. I told you this a few weeks ago about doctrine. Remember that word, all that the Bible teaches us about the truth of God. So he's saying, broaden your life with a deep understanding of doctrine. Jude 3 and 4 uses the word this way. Jude wrote and he said, Beloved, uh, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Truth is something you have to contend for. You'll never walk with God very long or very deeply if you don't know how to defend what you believe. And he says, there will be people who will creep in unnoticed, verse 4 who will do two things. They'll pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you fight these kinds of perverters and deniers? You contend for a faith that you understand. How can you contend for something you don't know? You'll get taken captive every time. So he go go back to our text, make a part of your walk with God being established in the knowledge of the truth. I mean that to say, expand your knowledge of the scripture, the word of God. Because like I said two weeks ago, when Paul talked about teaching, he meant the whole body of truth, cover to cover, that covers everything that God wants you to know about himself and his word and his work in the world. In other words, you got to become a doctrinally intelligent Christian. Sorry. <laughs> There's no exemption unless you want to be pushed around in the truth battle of our age. And believe me, there are, more false, there are more false teachers today than I've ever seen. And there are more fiery antagonists in the non-Christian world that will be happy to take apart what you don't know. And if you don't know the truth, they can, do you realize this? If you don't know the truth about your faith, they can come at you with any lie about your faith and they win. Because in our age, if somebody intensely believes something, we think it's true. So if they come at you with an intense lie about the faith and you don't have any basis of truth in your faith, you'll be tipped. We see it all the time, don't we? How do you, how do you deepen your knowledge if you're Somebody that's really not learned a lot about how to study the Bible. I would just say this, open the bandwidth of your life to get more and more deeper teaching into it. In addition to to being under the teaching of a Bible teaching pulpit, 
begin to start broadly reading the Word of God. I mean, not just, just little sections of verses you're familiar with, or a psalm in the morning and a proverb at night. I'm sorry, that's not going to do it for you. No, you need to begin reading through the Word of God, reading through it in its entirety. Learn to start reading through Bible books and understanding the full nature of the teaching of that epistle. Learn to read through the whole sweep of the Bible. Some of you are reading through the Bible every year. That's how you develop doctrine, because doctrine unfolds itself as you read the broad teaching of the Word of God. That's what you've got to do, however you figure out to do it. Maybe you read three or four portions a day, as I do. I read an Old Testament portion, a portion of the Gospels, a portion of the Epistles. I read that every day. And I write down what I've learned in my meditation and reading. That's how I do it right now. So I know I'm getting the whole counsel of God. However you do it, start to broaden your bandwidth and become a broad reader of the Scripture. Start to read some intelligent Christian books. Notice I use the word intelligent. It matters what somebody's credentials are, what their theological beliefs are. Ask your, your, your well-taught Christian friends who they're reading and start reading some deep theology. Start reading some people that have labored to know what the Bible says. Start reading. Start listening to preaching, not just preaching here, but good preaching recommended by your wise and godly friends from biblical pastors and teachers. There are some out there. Be selective, but there are some out there. Get involved in classes like what we offer or other group environments that go deeper into the scriptures, that learn how to interpret it, that understand the scriptures as they bring themselves out. And finally, create conversations in your life with people that you know who know the Bible more than you do. Doesn't that make sense? That's how I've done it all my life. I've sought to attach myself to people who intellectually intimidate the daylights out of me. <laughs> I want to catch a little bit of the star trail of their discoveries. Why don't you do that? Here's the last. He says, finally, regularly express thanksgiving to God through personal worship. He goes from the imagery of a schoolhouse and a, and a, and a, and a student in education to finally the image of a river. This is one of his favorite phrases. He uses it all the time. And the Greek word talk, he talks about there, abounding, it meant a river to overflow its banks, to be filled to overflowing with thanksgiving to God. For what? For how wonderful it is to walk with God. So regularly express thanksgiving to God. Abounding means overflowing. That shouldn't be a problem for the true Christian. Do you know why? Jesus said in John 4, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Christians are different. I hope you've noticed. Not in a weird way, in a life way. True people that have truly come to know the living Lord Jesus Christ who now abides in them have a spiritual life that overflows. There's something about the true believer. Jesus said it'll, in John 7, it'll be like rivers of living water out of your heart. So this shouldn't be hard. Christians that are truly walking with God should become thankful to God and it should overflow. Now I've observed something just here. This is an application for you. I've observed that Christians, and this has happened in my life too, who wander in their walk often begin by becoming ungrateful. 
Christians who wander in their walk often begin by becoming ungrateful. They stop being thankful for all the riches of who Jesus is and what he has done in their life. And they stop, they go from, from thanking to fixating on certain things that their flesh tells them he ought to be doing in their life. And they begin to go from thanking to fixating and they begin to move away from God. And um, it's a pathway you don't want to walk very far. Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian thinker of my generation, said the inward area is the first place of loss of true Christian life, of true spirituality. He wrote a book on that by that title, and the outward sinful act is only the result. So that's so true. You say, wow, how do I do that? How do I express thanksgiving to God through personal worship? Worship's an intimidating word to me, pastor. I mean, I can't even sing. He doesn't say sing. He says Give thanks. You know how to do that. Here's my tip. In your prayer life, widen your prayer with some praise. So often in our prayer lives, we're, we're, we're devoted to, to asking for things or walking through a list, and that's all fine. That's called supplication. It's a biblical thing. But also here is adoration. Learn to to widen your prayer life with praise. It will change your prayer life and it will be a way to affirm the beauty of your walk with God. So how do you walk with God? First of all, accept that it's not an emotional thing. It's by faith. Boy, that's foundational. And then daily lean into reaffirming your beginning in Christ, deepening your understanding of Christ, expanding your knowledge of the Word of God, and expressing your gratitude to God for it all. That's how you walk with God. That's my experience. Unless you're supernaturally spiritual, I hope that's your experience. This is how it is. This is how we live and walk with Him, isn't it? And now Paul puts it in great clarity for us. It's just... I hope that's for you. You say, well, it's still intimidating. Well, don't worry. You're not an alone. Jerry Bridges wrote this. We're 100% responsible for the pursuit of holiness, but at the same time, we're 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enable us in that pursuit. Boy, thank the Lord. <laughs> All you need to do is step out by faith and seek to walk with him, and he'll work it out in and through you, and somehow you'll finish. It's going to be a battle all the way, though. We wish the battle would end early, don't we? Can I just get to some point where I'm, where I'm just perfect? <laughs> where no more besetting sins, no more emotional battles, no more guilt, no more worry, no. Kevin DeYoung, with him I close, a modern Christian preacher and writer, said the mystery of the Christian life is that Christ expects us to flee sin and the devil, but does not expect us to rid ourselves of either one on this side of glory. Repentance is the way of life, he says, and so is the pursuit of godliness. I wish every Christian could be reminded of these two.